0: Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul. Tonight, I want to focus in on the what in life. I mentioned Stephen Colbert was looking for a word to call the confusion. I came home from a meeting tonight, a public meeting on architectural design standards of all things. Not very exciting, but there are things to learn. But one of the reasons I like public meetings, and it's pretty exciting because right away you get a payoff. You open it with the Pledge of Allegiance. It's much more germane in these times to find solace in the Pledge, so if I have a few meetings a week and get to do it, it's always a thrill. You know, the most introspective part of it is the last lines, and liberty and justice for all. Well, we're working towards that. We don't really have it. Some people do. But I certainly think it's important not to lose sight of that. It's an ideal we're striving for, ever, ever striving for. I'm not sure you can create a perfect world or even expect it to last. You can certainly create perfect moments or perfect events, perfect decades, perhaps. But life will have its ups and downs. And that's why we have to keep trying. So what I'd like to do is weave together a few stories of recent origin, some international news, some national news, and some local news, and tie it all up into something that helps clarify at least how we can handle The confusion. It's maddening. But we have to care about each other. And so this week, the quote that I sent to the paper, you know, our local paper here, the Antelope Valley Press, has a letters to the editor page. And it's a big draw. So they have an opinion page. And usually there's an editorial up there. It's about a sixth of the whole page. And then there are the letters. And they lead it off with one in quotes, printed a lot bigger. It's just a sentence or two. And people work towards getting that honor to get that in there because there's a lot of shrewd people that know that that's the first thing that people will read. So we're always trying to project our influence And this was a hard one for me because they held it back for a while. I I gave it a couple weeks ago, and there can be a pretty quick turnaround. But I realized that the uh, editorial opinion that they wrote above it goes kind of with it. And it says 327 people are now connected to Russia probes. And this stuff is, it's all-consuming because we have to be able to get back to having faith in our government and our institutions, and especially in our president, who constantly cast doubt on our institutions and our public servants. Most recently, of course, our intelligence professionals, which he Totally sold out in Helsinki. As a consumer of a lot of cable news, I do watch the Fox Channel. And I may have mentioned this as well. It seems sometimes like they're parallel universes. And, you know, Trump goes on a lot of these pep rallies or to support a candidate, and I've never been a fan of that, no matter which president did it. It just seems very extravagant to jump on Air Force One and bring the other plane and the whole Secret Service crew, and it's very expensive. I don't have an exact figure, but it's got to be tens of millions of dollars for these little puddle jump one afternoon rallies. But most often for me, when I watch the rallies, and I'll be fair that um, MSNBC and CNN don't run them the way Fox does, stem to stern like a concert event, like the Stones are in town. The thing that I like is watching the people behind Donald Trump and wondering what, what are they thinking? And I don't wanna disparage anybody. I know people have these strong beliefs. What I want is to figure a way that we can have some sort of meetings of the minds and realize that there are very important things that may be being overlooked. So that's what I'll try and weave together a tapestry of where we've been as a nation and what Russia has been about to us, and what we do. One of the significant things that happened today was that five top government officials and they included the director of the FBI and Dan Coats, the director of national intelligence uh, the man most tasked with coordinating the defense of our nation on all fronts and he's a guy that still doesn't know what Donald Trump talked to Vladimir Putin about in their private two hour meeting which is something that there's no reason for it. I've told you about my revulsion with it. It just it just offends me that you wouldn't even take notes so that we could know what happened. I don't think it's the president's prerogative to meet like that privately. I could receive a disagreement, I'm sure. I mean, someone could make a strong case that he has the right to do that, but not under these circumstances with that person. Sure, if he wants to talk to um, the prime minister of Britain and, you know, some aliens have landed and he wants to tell her, I'm not even sure. But I can see that there could be a time when you would have a private conversation but not with Vladimir Putin not under these circumstances not under the cloud it's like he doesn't care one of the things uh, that happened they you know the networks rolled out the old Ted Cruz from before the election talking about Donald Trump being a narcissist and a con man and all these things and so it's not like... You put that together with all this Russian intrigue and all the bizarre ways that he behaves, and there is cause to look. And that's partly what you know. I, I wanted to realize with you tonight, our history with Russia. I pulled a little on the thread last time about what is known about Donald Trump and his relationship with Russia, and the money laundering, uh, the same thing that Paul Manafort, to a lesser degree, is uh, on trial now about. This is a fascinating turn of events to just have this guy like him who goes in the same circles as Donald Trump be shown for how he skirts taxes and launders money and it's it's pretty impressive the case they put together against him and that's not even the beginning of it. he's got another trial to go to next week after he's convicted of this one. So Russia. Yes, they're not our enemy, but they're not our friend. And I I think back to when I was a boy and there was Nikita Khrushchev. And I can't tell you every Russian leader, if I thought about it, I could, Brezhnev, you know, all these guys. But Khrushchev, maybe it was because I was young or because I had to fear nuclear war and climb under my desk at school to do duck and cover to protect myself. I mean, think about that. It's kind of silly. You see these atomic and nuclear weapons heat the air around you to 10,000 degrees. So being under your desk isn't really going to provide much protection from you being incinerated. So you have this guy, Khrushchev, that just... He's like a bad actor, bad dictator out of central casting. He looks the part. He looks, you know, uh, in my younger years, Rocky and Bowinkle was a popular um, show. And, uh, of course, Boris and Natasha were their adversaries, and they were Russian spies, and they were mocked. And, you know, I, I'm willing to concede that that was part of some American disinformation campaign or maybe that's not the right word but just to uh marginalize the soviets to mock them so if someone says that oh yeah both sides do all these things like meddling in elections and murdering people well wait a minute we have uh it's a tough one. We, we, we've we overthrown some governments and, and we've affected some elections, I'm sure. But I just want you to understand this is a different order of magnitude. Since this Khrushchev guy who beat on the table with his shoe at the United Nations, you know, his goal is to defeat America, to crush democracy and Make communism be the superior ideology and say things that mock us. For instance, Khrushchev believed that we would destroy ourselves from within America would with our own decadence. So it's almost like, hey, we don't even have to try and harm you because you're going to do it to yourself by watching TV. And there's a little of that, I'm sure. I think that uh, some of these cartoons and sitcoms and, I don't know, I I wouldn't want to live without Gilligan's Island. I'll tell you what, that was a show that would cheer you up. And that is much dislike the propaganda that we're realizing. Facebook has deactivated accounts. They're realizing that uh, Soviet infiltrators are taking groups in America and making marches that people actually come to and, uh, you know, one group hates the other and they'll whip up any, any group to get us fighting. And so that's when I write that after the Helsinki summit, if you call yourself an American patriot and still support Donald Trump you are missing the sad truth of his treason. So that may hurt people and divide us who think that there's no such thing that Trump has committed and are offended that someone would accuse him of that. And I get that. But we have to get to a place where we can at least talk about it civilly. Saying at a Criminal Justice Commission meeting shortly after the election, but before Donald Trump was sworn in, that with the avowed mission to be to change and shake things up and some of the other signs, it just seemed to me that it would be hard to predict in which way the Justice Department would act. In regard to some of these public safety issues that uh, our city faces, and certainly homelessness is something that can overrun a city and needs to be dealt with humanely. And that's why I was so excited about the Kensington campus, which is our development that's to help homeless people. And the entire concept was beautiful. Have all these different kinds of services, temporary services, long-term services, uh, health services, access to all the other services, and just help homeless people rebuild their lives. So then something came up tonight. I should probably preface that by giving a little history and uh our relationship with the Justice Department, with my city. We have an injunction, a civil rights injunction against us. I'm not saying these things perfectly what they are, but we have a case and and we're being monitored, um, both cities, Lancaster and Palmdale, because of the way the sheriff's department who is or the contract law enforcement for both our cities have uh, treated minorities so some alleged mistreatment some pretty good examples of the wrong thing was done and i only say that because you know i've talked about the progress there's a great progress with regard to communities buying into law enforcement's role. And see, okay, you got your Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. My city, Lancaster, is the largest contract city they have, but they serve many other cities where they are the de facto police department. So usually the county police uh, patrol the far reaches of the county where there's no municipal police force. Well, recently our mayor has started to consider whether we would get our own police force. Now this cuts into long tradition, the, uh, the union, all of these things, the cost of... For instance, the county is self-insured. So if one of their deputies wrecks a car or wrecks your car, uh, they just pay it instead of carrying other, you know, it's uh, cheaper, I guess, to just pay the claims. So, but that's a little bit different from a municipality who may be open to other legal actions in the case of some of these uh misconduct or accidents by the police. So not only is the city and the uh, sheriff's department jointly responsible uh, uh, under uh, dictate by the justice department to improve things, but part of the thing that got us into trouble in the first place, in addition to what I've mentioned, was aggressive city processing or controlling of Section 8 housing because there's a wide belief that the program is abused. Often it is. It's, you know, poorly controlled. Some of these bureaucracies just get out of hand and they're an unwieldy beast that just lumbers at its own pace and you really can't knock it off its course. So, course, there are many good ways that Section 8 helps people. I'm certainly not against it, but if there is no accountability in the system, it does tend to give that impression. So we did have some cases where people were on Section 8 and living in homes where they actually made a lot more money than they said and had Escalades and other fancy cars parked there Kind of like a Paul Manafort thing on a small scale, but the numbers don't add up. There's just too much for what is said to be uh, earned. So no one likes unfairness, but Section 8 didn't like feeling like their customers were being treated unfairly by the city. So that was a big part of the uh, Justice Department agreement. We would Uh, treat people better, or leave them alone at least. So now, tonight at this uh, architectural design meeting where they were trying to go over some of the finer points of the Kensington campus, one of the commissioners asked uh, the developer's representative uh, about how some of these things would be paid for. And up until that time, I had never heard Section 8, but when he said it, it was like a, well, this opens up a lot of different avenues for possible problems moment for me. And the two things that jumped out right away at me were that it it could be perceived as a bait and switch because this was not talked about before. And it changes things tremendously when you actually know how Section 8 works. And so it wasn't mentioned and no one knew. And there are a lot of ways that it can mess up the entire concept of a campus where People are learning and growing and rebuilding their lives, and if they can do it, fine, Um, but it, it is a complicating factor. I don't know how many, but I would say very none few homeless people have Section 8 vouchers, and it takes a long time to get one, and you're on a list and you have to go in order. And these are some fair things that make a lot of sense. You have to pay a certain portion of the rent. So it is a stabilizing force, but you put it in with a bunch of other uh, unsupported people who have to look for It's just, I don't know, very open-ended and... Uh, it, it creates two types of camps, you know, one Section 8 and one uh, pulling-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps progressive program for the homeless. And I guess with all the roundabout, what I'm saying is that people will get the units who have Section 8 vouchers and are low-income people who can qualify not homeless people who can't. But I'd really like to say what we need to do is believe in America. We can work these things out. I watched The Daily Show, and it was pretty funny that Jim Jordan, the congressman who wants to be the new Speaker of the House, they had a bid on him and his... um, problem with people saying that he did know about the abuse of the pedophile doctor and did nothing about it and uh, they ended it with you know a campaign slogan Jim Jefferson Jeffers whatever his name is not as bad as a pedophile it was kind of funny but that's what breaks people's trust in the system that's why we have to stand tall and strong and be open. Intellectual humility demands that we be open and willing to change our minds. We have the President of the United States at the Veterans uh, Foreign Wars convention telling them that they can't believe everything they read in the paper. Well, okay, that's true, but they need to believe him and You need to make your own mind up. That's my final thought for this show. We have a lot to lose. Think about that and think about a way to find some common ground. There are changes coming, there will be indictments and there will be constitutional challenges. And let's remember we're patriots, we're Americans, and we love this country.